0: welcome to the Gaming Moguls podcast. The only podcast that played Brass Birmingham and Orleans and Acquire and A Feast for Odin all the night before you got there, just to make you jealous. I'm your host for this evening, Mr. Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Mr. Jacob Klaufenstein. Jake, you played all those games before I got there just to make we me mad, did that. didn't you? Absolutely. So let's preface. Um, Mark and I have
1: been jabbed a whole bunch um by modern (laughs) multiple times modern medical technology so our life and gaming life is back to relative normal um we both had our
0: couple of weeks i think i've been like fully immunized for like six weeks now something like that yeah i've been past my two-week zone for quite a quite a while at this point so you know uh we have made the decision now that we are fully vaccinated and all of our friends are fully vaccinated that we started gaming in person again a few weeks ago Started out with a big kickoff up at your cabin, Jake. Yeah, it certainly did. We have a lovely place up north. Um, My family owns it and
1: um, it's not used very much in the winter. So, kind of early April, I believe, is when we went. And it was cool. Had about 10 people up there and it was just really fun. Played games the whole weekend and it was great seeing everybody for the first time. Felt really weird being around people that weren't in my family and playing (laughs) games realized how out of gaming shape I was. And the joke of the evening was Mark regrettably couldn't come up until Friday and we were up there on Thursday. So we joked that we played every single game that Mark wanted to play the night before. So we wouldn't be playing it for any other times for the rest of the weekend. And it was a
0: jolly good time to make that joke. Oh, such meanies. Yeah, I think actually the last time we all got together as a big group to game was uh, last, you know, early March last year, about five minutes before the pandemic hit. So I love the fact that we kind of bookended the pandemic with a Jakey fest up at your cabin. I don't know what was more fun making fun of you or playing the games, but they're both pretty good. (laughs) I understand. It's always good sport hitting me where it hurts.
1: Yeah. So I don't think you had a noticeable degradation in game playing ability because I certainly did. Um, I'm out of gaming shape and. So we have another gaming convention every fall and I always would be confused because people would be like chill and just hanging on their phone, kind of re- resting and relaxing up there, which it's a great place to hang out at. You can just do that. But I was like, we could play games, you know, and I never really understood it. But now that I'm kind of out of gaming shape and I've really played a handful of games in person the last year, I kind of get it. I'd play a game and I'd kind of want to just putz around for a bit. Let my brain heal. Let okay. it catch its breath after after all that mental cognitive load.
0: Well, I I certainly can see that after a couple back to back games, Jake, you, you you're breathing a little less heavy. Like I think you're kind of working, you're running yourself back into
1: shape. I I hopefully am. And last night when we played games together, I did bat a thousand on the two games that we played with both wins. So I think I maybe not back in full gaming shape, but I'm at least I'm getting there.
0: Well, so that was my, actually my whole play up at Jakey Fest because like I kept gaming all throughout pan, the pandemic with my family, so I stayed in pretty good shape. And I basically just uh, sharked all the people that hadn't really been gaming up there and was really uh, punching above my weight as far as yeah. winning goes during that cabin weekend against all the people that hadn't been gaming much. And, you know, uh, hey, if you're going for a speed record and there's a stiff tailwind, go with it, baby. Don't complain. Heck yeah, let's do it.
1: So this episode uh, will be very game focused because we've played a whole bunch of board games over the last weekend and a couple of weeks since we've been back together.
0: Well, and that'll be a really nice contrast over the last few weeks where you've heard us talk about nothing.
1: Yeah, Yeah, um, personally, we've both been pretty busy. I am moving into a home that Anna and I bought and we should be moving in relatively soon. So doing all that stuff, putting stuff in boxes and Mark started a new job.
0: I have. A lot of change in the mogul studio here. Yeah, massive change. I mean, for one big thing, like I haven't actually been in a real office in over a decade. So, yeah, will do <laughs> as it. it. Turns out I'm tired in the evening. So, there's been a bunch of times we've meant to get together and record, and I'm still kind of getting just back into the working shape. So, the good news about it is, is I think we have a lot of pent up things to talk about, and you are all the beneficiaries of that. Yes, because
1: you'll be hearing from us a lot more. With our little catch up, let's talk about some games, dude. Let's first start off with the game that I uh, played with you guys the other weekend or the other night, and uh, I was going to be a little meaner and say that I just dominated you guys, but that (laughs) wouldn't be true because I only beat John by
0: one point. Well, and to be fair, it's kind of like a lion playing with kittens, too. My brain still hurts speaking about being out of shape. And what's that game we're talking about? It's the Alexander Pfister masterpiece Mombasa, published locally by Egertspiel, upgraded with loving care by Jake with all kinds of nifty little uh, board game geek store geek bits. Yeah, absolutely. So, in Mabasa, you are investors investing
1: in different companies that are kind of European that are focused on kind of a uh, taking in th- human suffering. Oh, 100%. That's what we we made it as a thing. But you're 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 kind of, I don't know, exploiting the vast heartland of Africa for different resources. A little bit weird of a theme, but we really like it—not the theme, but we like the game, and it's just—it's been one that hasn't come off the shelf as much as it should have, and it's been really nice to circle back to it. So, as Mark said, um, I got the geek up bits for it, which changed the cardboard bits to nice little tacky epoxy feeling ones, and it's been really fun. I haven't actually formally asked you what is your opinion on this
0: game. Oh. Do you like it? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I've always loved Mombasa. I've always thought it was a fantastic game. I've always been a little intimidated by it for the main reason that. I don't know that you have a real good point of reference for that game, no matter how many other games you've played. Because in the same way that, as we were talking about an episode or two ago, the game Burano, there's really no basis for being good at it because it's so weird and different than other games. Mombasa carries a lot of that thing forward. At its core, it's a deck builder. It's like a hand builder, technically, because you're not drawing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a hand builder, and you also kind of want to stack your tableau to make that make sense, so that you can draw a good set of stuff, but. It's so weird compared to other games that even though I hadn't played it in a couple of years, I was somewhat intimidated to play it just because of the fact that I knew that it was going to be one that I was just going to have to rack my brain around and just go, oh, man, what are you doing this game again? This is so hard. And, uh, and it did not disappoint.
1: Correct. And very similar to Great Western Trail, another game by Alexander Fister, Mombasa has parts that you've seen everywhere else before. Like every individual action is not that weird. Right. Uh, Maybe maybe the book action is a little weirder, but I I, buy a card. Yeah, you can explain most board games. Do you have the most of something? You get some benefit for putting a worker placement spot there. But all of it in addition is greater than the sum of its parts in regards to differing gameplay. It just it feels weird, and it shouldn't because
0: if you actually just like microscopically look at each mechanism, it's not that weird. So the two things that I find really cool and unique about it. Is there's The first one is there's this mechanism where you lay out a certain number of cards, three to five, depending on how you've kind of expanded your tech tree, if you will. It's not really a tech tree, but it kind of plays out like that. And you get three to five cards. And then based on those three to five cards, one of the things you can do is you can take benefits if you have the most of most cotton or something like that. But the thing is, you have to spend some of those cotton at some point in order to, like, buy cards. So there's this weird timing thing in there. That if you choose to spend and buy something first, then you might not have the most cotton anymore. And somebody else who didn't think they had the most cotton can go claim that most cotton award. So the order that you stage your actions in is super, super, super important to maximize what you have placed out in your hand.
1: Yeah, completely. And and that thing's kind of weird, too, if you do make a stab at being the best cotton guy and it turns out that you're not even close to the best cotton guy that like kind of changes your whole plan for the game and you have to pivot a lot. But also at the same point, the another thing about the game that's really hard and maybe you can hit that with your next point is the way that you play out your cards in a tableau. They're each oh, yes. associated with their own <laughs> discard <laughs> pile. Yep. So you can't see cards that much intrinsically to the game. There's seven rounds and you're always picking up one stack of cards, so there's a non-zero chance you play a card and just never pick it up for the rest of the game.
0: So then it becomes really tactical of what you're going to pick up, but it's it's weird. And what happens is because you're putting those cards up into those discard piles every turn, each discard pile gets richer to the point where if you ignore our discard pile because it's got some kind of grubby cards in it for a few rounds, uh, after a while, it becomes actually really, really good. And you can pick it all up at once because if you've ordered them correctly, you actually kind of sorted your discard piles and just planning how you're going to play your cards into one of your tableau spots so that you can order your discard pile breaks my brain by itself. It's a lot. This game's also on top of the fact that it is
1: hard to beat the other players. It's kind of a hard game to do well in. So we always had this joke whenever playing Great Western Trail that we'd look towards the end of the railroad track and be like, how the heck do you get there? And it just made you seem like if we were better at the game, we'd be able to interact with that. And I feel like Mombasa is one of those as well. Like the first time you play this game, you're like, how the
0: heck did somebody get up to nearly 40 or 50 or 60 even on both tracks? Yeah, look, look at like the the four stock scales around the outside. You know, I mean, there was one of them that I was maybe halfway up and the other three. I was a quarter of the way up. Right. Spoiler, I finished in last. That'll do it. But I'm looking at this thinking, how the hell do you get up more than a few spots on on more than one or two of those? Because here's the thing, my friends. That game only has eight rounds in it. Seven. And those rounds go by, seven rounds, even worse. Those those go by quickly. As I remember, you sort of feel like you're, okay, now I'm finally starting to move up these tracks. I'm finally getting some good car. What do you mean there's only two rounds left? Right. And so that's what's been interesting is
1: I've actually played this game twice in pretty quick order. And much similar to like Pax Premier, where you're like, I'm not actually in a straight jacket. I am very comfortable in the straight jacket. And I can actually do really well with wrestling people. It kind of happened the same with Mombasa. I think if you were to play this game again soon, you'd be able to see that you can get up a little bit further in a lot of more of the tracks.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. There was definitely a learning curve associated with it, being that I hadn't played it in a couple of years that I conceptually remembered what I was trying to do. But the specific on how to do well at it was uh, something I was relearning.
1: Correct. So that is Mombasa by Alexander Fister, published by Agret Spiel. Really big fan of this game. Hopefully we get to play it more coming up, um, which we'll talk about more later. Kind of our, there's been a kind of a, a tone
0: shift change, I think, heading forward. And it'll be interesting to see if this one's played more. I man, I might be totally making this one up, but I feel like I've heard that this is coming out with a new version with a different theme on it. I remember reading something about that on BGG. Did I just make this up or did that already happen? I don't know. I'll fire
1: from the hip as well. I believe Alexander Fister made some sort of comment like, yeah, looking back on it, probably not the best theme for a game, you know, and, and it makes sense. I mean, it's not it's not the, the, the best time in history, obviously, sure. and playing around with it as a game. I can ab- absolutely understand why people wouldn't want to do that. I'm not saying we enjoy it, but 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 our group has talked about it, which is kind of neat and uh, felt OK doing that. So. I, I could see them re this to something
0: else. And it'd be interesting to see what they did. It would be a shame if there was a group of people that would refuse to play it because of the colonialism theme. Because it's such a good game. Right. Right. And I guess maybe that
1: goes for all designers. If you can do games in a commercial way and maybe do them a little more. In space, know. Jake. In That's space. That's all you got to do. In space. There it is. Problem solved. Do it. So yeah, that is Mombasa. Big fan. I almost might think this game's better than Great Western Trail.
0: But plays will tell because I've only play this game like four times. But... And we should probably talk about what we're going to give this on a mogul scale. Jake, it's been a long time since we've put something on the mogul scale. Yeah, you might push back on this one. So I think it's a three and a half D. I'd go 3D. I actually think the rules are fairly simple, given how much it hurts. But it feels significantly
1: heavier than a midweight euro in just regards to rules, because there's a little bit different things. And I think it's because kind of in this hobby there's this track of midway euros that you kind of all know how to play because the, the the iconography is pretty similar and you just have to learn the base rules.
0: This one's a deviation from that. You're upscaling it due to lack of familiarity. Correct. But I'd be fine. Give it a three as well. Excellent. I like it. You know, this is actually a great transition towards a little bit of email we got from a listener out there. Yes, we do get listener mail, strangely <laughs> enough. Feel free to send forward to marketgamingmoguls.com or jake at gamingmoguls.com if you want to email us directly and uh, the question was specifically about our mogul scale question was from a listener named daniel first off i'd like to say thanks for producing your podcast discovered a few months away i've ripped through your back catalog daniel i feel bad for you that's like 50 episodes but he goes on to say he's got similar tastes with 18xx cube rails pax games midway euros two-player card games and auction games i like this fellow already That's us to a T. And he says, like us, that he'd stand out in the sometimes Ohio winter parking lot after game night and just chat about games, Magic the Gathering, and otherwise, which is really how this podcast started. He goes on to ask about the mogul scale, though, and he says he doesn't understand what the letter really always means. Remember, the first, the number is how rulesy it is, and the second, the letter, is how strategically complex it is. And he says sometimes we use it for a proxy for how difficult it is to make good strategic decisions and sometimes for how much strategic depth there is in the game it goes on to call us out and say that we rated both chicago express and wingspan as 2c and i'm here to tell you those games could not be more different (laughs) so it's a good point jake second letter what is it is it about making good strategic decisions or how how much depth there is or (sighs) yes yes it's got to be yes
1: so I don't know if we hit this enough, but we didn't imagine the game models thing to be like kind of our thing. It was just supposed to be a way for us to like quickly reference games yep. in a conversational way between Mark and I. Because, we'd always say, well, it's hard. <laughs> well, what do you mean by "what's well, it's hard? What's well, hard about it? <laughs> right. And so the first number we for sure are that is rules grokkership and like how hard it is to just like figure out the systems of the game. Because these aren't enforced. Most of these games, you know, you, you have to actually like know how to play to move the pieces around there's not restrictions like a video game, but the second one, it really is just a hold in for like both how well you're going to do the first time you play is kind of a good rule of thumb for it. So like, for example, for like an a game, like we'll talk about some in a bit, you're probably getting close to like the strategic depth of that game. The first or couple times that you play it, at least with what options you have available to yourself. But also it does mean like kind of, I'm not going to say replayability, but something along those lines of, um, uh, how much there is to plumb down it's in the depth to
0: explore yeah because right. there are certainly lots of a games that are real replayable
1: right and 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 i think the other thing too is these numbers are not a, a merits based n- number like being a 5d is not better than a 2d or whatever they're just uh kind of subjective ways for us to define the games they're
0: different by styles parameters. of games right which I appeal mean, to different styles of players Right, correct.
1: It's more of a taste thing than like a a, a quality and merit of game. Because I can point out good games in every single category, and even if me who like really likes games that are like three D ish, that's kind of like where I love to live. Mm-hmm. I can name some stinkers in there, you know, and oh, I can yeah. mention some games that are great in one A and
0: whatever, you know. Hey, like, we definitely have our favorite niches too, right? Like one E is not my thing, right. It just and it's really never going to be. But, you know, I know a lot of people that that's their favorite place to live is the games that have few rules and massive decisions. So
1: I would say for me, the answer is yes, it's both. It's both like strategic difficulty to understand, like, like how to play the game and also how much replayability and like depth and strategic depth is there. What would you say?
0: Yeah, it's kind of shorthand for when you sit down at a game. How quickly do you get past that point of saying, man, I don't know what to do here. Right. Like last night, what was the first thing I did when I sat down my first turn in Mombasa? I looked at it and I went, I have no freaking clue what to do. Right. And I think
1: a good rule also with it is the thing I said earlier, but I'll expand on it a little bit more. The first time you play an A game, you'll probably feel like you played well or at least knew how to play. B is like, yeah, you didn't play optimally, but you were in that pocket of pretty good play for where you think you could be. C is like, you're probably going to need a play. Maybe half a play where the light bulb will turn on and be like, ah, I know what I'm doing now. D is usually a player two at least before you really understand what's good in the game. And we're not talking about meta stuff or meaning like how well the Great Western Trail example of how far down the train road did you actually go if you were trying to do that, for example. And then E is like it might take weeks, months, even years to figure out just or what never. all the depths are in that game, right? Or never. I mean, has, any, never. Yeah, has, yeah, has totally. anybody plumbed the depths of go? Right. Exactly. Some computer probably somewhere in and, and maybe even with D two, add a little bit more plays to that Yep. than, than that. But that's 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 kind of my where, where I view it, where how long it takes for you to kind of understand what's going on.
0: For sure. So anyway, uh, Daniel, thanks so much for writing in. And uh, if you ever find yourself in Minneapolis, I think you'd uh, fit right in with our game group. So hit us up and join us for a game or two. Absolutely. I would like to talk about the other game we played last night, which has been a game that's been in kind of hot rotation the past few weeks, for sure. Uh, That game is Hollertau by Uwe Rosenberg, uh, published locally by Lookout Games. Hollertau is a game about farming in Bavaria. Jay, sit down. I know you're shocked that Uwe Rosenberg would put out a game about farming in Germany. Completely. It was just unlike anything else he's ever done, a real deviation from the norm. And Hollertau being the area where they produce some of the most famous hops in Germany. Does Correct. this game have beer in it, Jake? No, sir. It does not. It does. You have a brew house, but is there beer? There. Is I mean, not. You're, it's abstracted, but yes, <laughs> yes, there is a building called a brew house in it, and that's about the closest the game ever gets to beer. But having said that, it's a it's a farming game where you're trying to produce a number of resources every game, and you're trying to cash those things in to improve things. So Euro, so Uwe Rosenberg. Yet somehow this one manages to feel fresh and different than all of his other games. while also obviously having throwbacks to a lot of the things he's done in the past. Completely. So this is a huge box, right? This is a huge, expensive, heavy box. It's stamped expert all over the front of it.
1: Nothing for noobs. Get out (laughs) of here. Noobs go
0: away. Having said that, might be the least expert, expert game out there. Like, I think as Uwe rosenberg big box games go this one is easily as the simplest rule set so i actually might put back
1: on that so remember when mm-hmm. i said the if you have like a cultural zeitgeist or amount of information past shared experiences with euro games i think it's easy but there's a lot of interactive or interlocking oh. pardon me sure mechanisms that are weird in this game and i think we have just played so many Uwe rosenberg games that we don't really Uwe. Rosenberg games that we don't really uh,
0: worry about it. Yeah, that's a fair point, because I think, you know, the rules explanation we gave you was no longer than 10 minutes and you were up and running and very competitive even in your first play. Definitely not my first play. My second play. Yes. You did not embarrass yourself. Correct. Uh, And I
1: I have been known to do that to myself quite often. However, (laughs) I will say with the experts, if I were to put money on Mr. Rosenberg's post-it note above the entire idea wall with this game. My idea would be the KISS kind of uh, idea of the keep it simple, stupid mentality with this game. It really feels like a return
0: to form to
1: other games that have less, but do more.
0: Sure. Meaning back to like a throwback to a simpler AKA Agricola time. Correct. Maybe even uh, at the gates of Luoyang as well. Yes, for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and I think the way that it is more evidence in that of there's more cards in it and they're a little bit lucky, which I think we can talk about in a bit. There
0: certainly is a random factor here. Yeah, yes,
1: um, But there it, it feels more a deviation from the completely open, very deterministic caverna type idea of all of the different buildings are out there. You're definitely drawing for cards and certain cards will benefit you and certain cards will not the worker placement actions are much more filled and they felt more elbowy on purpose instead of just accidentally getting in someone's way with the way that you can degree and that you know that you may not clear off all of the cubes there and it's going to be expensive for a while.
0: So let's back that up for a second. Go this ahead. is one of the interesting MacGuffins about this entire game is that it's a worker placement game, but the worker placement spots are not blocking. They just become more expensive as time goes on. And I think it's a bit of a throwback almost to Manhattan Project Energy Empire about how you can do the action if you stack a worker up taller than the stack before that. It's a very similar mindset where you can still do that action, but it starts becoming expensive as the time goes on to a point where that stack of three fills up and then you can't do it at all. Right. There's something that feels elbowier and meaner about jacking up the price Versus just plain blocking it. I mean, in a, in a worker placement game, if somebody takes it, you just kind of go, oh, well, I'll do something else. Now you have to look at it and go, damn, ugh, it's going to cost me three. And I only have three workers left. So I could do a two and a one, which gets me two things Other, or I could just spend all three on that one. Is that worth it? Ugh, right. I love that. Yeah, completely. And I think that also is design
1: idea of not a lot of the spots do the same thing compared to worker placement spots or other games. Actually, maybe not. But at least to me, my my, my ter- interpretation of it was like, okay, if I want to get sheep, there's kind of like two areas to get sheep and that's it, you know? Yeah. And so the cost goes up versus getting sticks in Caverna or something. There's like a handful of different ways to do that. You know, there's a lot more ways to skin the cat. So yeah, you took that one and might have to go somewhere else. But if you really want to plant one plant really, really, really high up on like a five level thing, if you want to get your hops level five or whatever. There's only like one
0: spot to do that, and I think it actually like um, it sort of abstracts supply and demand. If there's right. a huge amount of demand for a particular resource, those spots are going to start filling up, increasing the cost for them, and sort of balancing out the strategy inherently. Absolutely.
1: What do you think about this game, and where do you rank it in the tier list of Uwe Rosenberg games? Because you've played it
0: a lot now, what Ooh, six times, six, four six times? times, yeah. So I I feel like I pretty well understand what it's trying to do and and how it works. Last night, we played with a more challenging expert level deck. By the way, I looked this up, Jake. We talked about this last night. There's a number of different decks you can start the game with. And the farmer deck is actually like there's sort of a field deck and a hops deck and a sheep deck. So you can change the flavor of the game that way. And then the other deck is actually literally a beginner, medium, expert and advanced. There's kind of four tiers of how difficult of strategy they have in them. Not difficult to get, but are they gamier? than the other ones whereas the uh, beginning deck is pretty straightforward i love that variety in it i enjoy the game what i really loved last night is it was multiple plays for everyone here so we just we were able to just pull it out play for a difficult game with a lot of decisions it played really breezy and that felt great how we were just turns were going fast and we were all playing well and it's a very smooth very slick experience Having said that, I think it is very smooth and very slick. There aren't any lows. The highs are a little flat too, right? I mean, there's there's none of this just amazing. Um, I don't I don't think you're going to see any amazing emergent play out of Hallertau. It is what it is. It is what it is, and it's a it's a beautiful, very pleasant experience to play. So in the uh, you know in the pantheon of Uwe Rosenberg games, this is a uh, to me this is a Aura and Labora level game, right? I mean, it's a solid eight. Um, yeah. There are certainly games I would rank higher than this one. This is no Lahav or Agricola, nor is it a uh, I think we all agreed it's it's better than Glass Road, which, by the way, I love Glass Road and and certainly better than some of his more recent games. So return to form for sure. And solid eight on the uh, where do I think it fits in in the thing? It's, gotcha. it's, it's a very good game.
1: So I am not as sweet on Nuvay Rosenberg in the last while as you've been. But I've only played this game twice, but I would say that this one is much more up the realm of games of his I like. I put this as a B-plus tier game. Sure. Maybe even A, but really good second tier. Not as good as Agricola, not as good as Caverna, but definitely getting up there and much better than the other stuff he's been putting out recently.
0: It's been a solid infield triple for everybody
1: that we've played it with so far. Correct. And I think might as well take a moment and do our other side topic thing that we're going to bring up here. We've kind of decided to take a different ethos when it comes to games and because we're doing a smaller group and not doing the the, the bigger group thing, because, I mean, we're, we're vaccinated. We're not fully gung ho yet with the opening of
0: bars and stuff. And honestly, a lot of that just has to do to the fact that if I'm getting together with multiple hours for friends that I trust, I really don't want to wear a mask for six hours. Yeah, do I. So therefore, we've elected to start playing again at private homes. And so therefore, just kind of by necessity, we've kept the numbers low. Absolutely. That'll change as time goes on. And this we all kind of get on towards moving on with our life. But at least for the moment, we're kind of keeping it close to the chest with a smaller group. Totally. So our ethos is
1: kind of we have so many games, at least in the four person group that we have going. It's eight hundred and thirty something individual titles and games of Not all possible. four of us. Yeah, eight hundred. Not and possible. So we were, it's, it's too many. Too many <laughs> is, is, is the number of games that is the true count there. We just decided that, like, oh, there's just so many good games. If we were to just play the games that at least two people have ranked in eight or better, it's still like too many games. So we're just going to try to play the same games more in a shorter period of time and also rotate in classics more often. So like, for example, the last couple of weeks we've played Viticulture, we've played Great Western Trail, we've played Mombasa, we've played Hallertau a bunch. I haven't because I've been gone for a couple of them, but. It's definitely a different ethos than kind of the we will always do a game rules teach at the previous game group that we used to do.
0: Yeah. It's more a notion that we're sort of settling in on our greatest hits album. And because yep. we haven't played together in a while and we're getting back into shape and there's a lot of these favorite games, we realize we should we should probably start out with some of our favorite games first before we start trying out some other things. So, you know, Hellertau has certainly reached that greatest hits list. Absolutely. It's been really fun to play. So that's kind of our ethos. And I think you will hear
1: more confident impressions on games than I think we normally do. Sure, because we're, we're definitely going to go deeper than we have in the past. Completely. So that is a side note on Hollertau and our ethos on games. Hallertau is designed by Uwe Rosenberg and
0: published by Lookout Spiel Games. On the mogul scale, Jake, this is certainly strategy-wise, it's a C. Up, so, up one side and down the other. I'm putting this on the light. I think it's a 3C, but I'm putting it on the light side of the 3C
1: maybe i might put an asterisk of mark really like systems and played probably all of the uve rosenberg
0: games <laughs> so it was extremely yes. easy for me for that so okay i don't think we're gonna argue it's a three c no matter how you chop no it. no exactly and that's a pretty wide range as well speaking of
1: more games we got to try a pretty cool train game at the kevin weekend this past weekend or a couple of weeks ago um we played erie railroad by benny seaman And published by Winsome Games. I do not know if Benny's... (laughs) That's just what I was going to ask you. Is Benny Seaman John Boar? I don't know. um, And I don't want to be rude and fire from the hip and assume that it is. Because Board Game Geek did remove a lot of John Boar's pseudonyms. And (laughs) Benny Seaman is still the person who designed this game. For sure. So I'm going to continue with that for the rest of the game. And if I sound like an idiot in a year when it turns out that this was also John Boar everyone's John Bohr, then I apologize.
0: And we're reasonably confident that Amabel Russell is not John Bohr.
1: Pretty sure that she's not, but not, not hundred percent. You can never really be true. You never really be sure. So anywho, Erie Railroad is the unexpected hit of the weekend. Um, There's a very kind guy in Minneapolis who's giving away some games off his thing. And I've always been interested in winsomes and this one's always been great. So I thought I should pick it up. So swung by, picked it up, and got it to the table, not really having any expectations of what it was. I heard it was pretty good, but what you're doing in it, it is about as light as games could be. I can explain the whole game in two minutes. Everyone's dealt out a card. It's hidden. It's going to have one of five companies on it. On each round, there's going to be a card that is currently being auctioned. It's going to have two symbols on it. The options correspond with the previously mentioned five different train companies in this. Everyone's going to bid. It's a winsome style auction. Once you're out, you're out. Whoever bids the most wins it. Then whoever wins it has two options to do with that card. They can either trade the card in and then it chooses one of the suits to pay dividends, which then each symbol that you have in your tableau of cards with that symbol on it will pay out that many dollars equal to the total number of symbols out on the board. Or you can take that card and add to your tableau. And it would have made way more sense for me to say those in the opposite order, but that's fine. <laughs> the other thing you can do is whoever's the like auctioneer the person whose turn it is, they can sell all of their shares of that company at that point in time for the total payout price for each one. So if there was three total symbols on the board and I had one of them, I'd first get three dollars for the payout. And then if I'm the person I could also sell that share for an additional three dollars, thus lowering the value of them moving forward. It was so cool. I don't know why this game worked, asterisk on that, but it was just so fun and just really felt similar to kind of the silliness of the estates with a lot less of the length and kind of investment and feeling bad and not understanding how the game works and hurt feelings because it's just a little game with construction paper.
0: Did you end up playing this game with us, Mark? I did not. You guys had played that before I got there, like every other great game, apparently. And so, no, I, I heard lots of chatter about it over the weekend and just many, many great things about it. But well, we did play it a lot. So I'm surprised you didn't play it. The issue with it
1: is I found it really fragile. And for what it is, I mean, it's a 15, 20, 30 minute game, like whatever. A game like that can be fragile. It's that light and that fast. But it didn't always live up to its, uh, its lofty heights that it happened. But it was it was really fun. I thought it was really neat and it was kind of a deviation from most winsome games that I've played where like, really, this could be any theme, you know, it could just be suits of cards for all that matters, you know, sure, sure. But it was really fun and I'm and I'm going to play it sometime with you and I think you're going to like it because it is it is a bop, according to my Twitter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, for that type of time commitment and that type of a game, there's a high possible reward, low risk for jumping in and trying it. I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: that is Eerie Railroad by Benny Seaman, published by Winsome Games, and it is
0: officially a bop that I'm given a 1A. Well, I think I'm going to keep that 1A train a-rolling here right now, and I'm going to talk about a new Kickstarter I just received pretty recently. I got a whole box full of oinks here from the oink Kickstarter. This one that I wanted to give a shot to was Ninja Catfoot and the Covert Action. Jake, this one's weird even by Oink standards. Okay. So it's a dexterity game using your phone. Inside this little Oink sized box, and you know, remember, Oink has those little tiny, cute little boxes. And inside that box, there's a bunch of rubber wristbands. There's also a QR code for the app that runs this game, and a bunch of token chips, and a string. Mm-hmm. You place a string out into an arena, basically. You put all the chips out into the middle. Then you strap your phone to your wrist running the Ninja Catfoot app. Everybody hits start at the same time. It counts down, and then your game really is to just reach in and collect the most points out of the center that you can, all while moving little enough as to not set off the accelerometer on your phone. Ooh! You have to stack them in, I think, low to high, high to low order. Yes, you can pick up like the fives first, and then the fours, and then threes, but you can't go backwards ever. Similar
1: to. Chwazi, do android people have better benefits of this
0: app i don't think so much it's, like they can it, have 10 fingers versus five it's really sensitive like Ooh, you really okay. you, it's like you have to move fast but you have to learn this kind of move fast without actually moving your wrist right the impulse thing if it goes off you have a 10 second cool off period so you got to like pull your hand out of the arena and cool off for 10 seconds and then you can go back to grabbing it well in the meantime that high point chip you were trying to grab somebody else could grab that in the meantime you're also allowed to try to snatch chips out of somebody else's hand if you can, which is almost impossible without setting off your, your accelerometer. Like every time I tried it, I ended up forcing us both to go off, which usually then I'd come off the accelerometer a half a second faster and could make it to the chip before they did. So that kind of became my game. Nice. So very strange game. You then stack up the chips to see who has the highest pile. That's the winner. And then you take one of the scoring chips off of that pile and you crank up the difficulty on your phone one notch. So there's like a handicapping. The more you win, the harder it is for you to win. And uh, once you've managed to go through three of those, you've won it three times. You are the winner. All three of those plays lasted maybe 20 minutes and uh, lots of fun was ready for it to be done after twenty minutes. Like it was cute, would certainly play again, but the the one trick in the one trick pony was pretty much done by the end of that twenty minutes.
1: Yeah. And I guess the question with Oink games and I guess games in general,
0: is it fine that they have a shelf life? You know, with Oink games, I it is. I mean a lot kind of one of the core right. concessions behind Oink games is they'll they'll exploit one little thing, whether it's greed or and push. Package your luck, it up or, really well. Yeah. And, you know, this one is the, hey, we want you to move as fast as you can, but slow enough that you don't set the uh, accelerometer off. And it's OK. That's the trick. And that trick was amusing. We laughed a lot in that 20 minutes. So right. everybody had a good time. But, you know, it doesn't go any deeper than that.
1: Right. And and uh, th- that question was not supposed to be like there is a correct answer. It's for everybody. It's going to be different. But. I definitely do perceive them to be a lot of differences on what people are OK with. And it does seem like some games are kind of one trick ponies, which is fine. And some people won't think they're one trick ponies. Really like that trick a lot. Just kind of interesting to see that they're pushing it with the uh, phones because definitely not seeing a phone used like that.
0: Now, where I do think this game will shine, Jake, drinking game. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> I, I I think you play it for shots and this game will explode. Yeah, totally, completely. I actually, I low key think that's the un, little underbelly. I see Japanese businessmen playing this game with their phone strapped to their wrist, doing shots of sake while they're playing it. And I want to be part of that. I want some of that. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'm excited to try. I mean, I just, I just don't know if it'll ever be 18 Chesapeake for a drinking game.
0: Nothing will beat that. <laughs> Nothing will beat 18 Chesapeake in a bottle of apple brandy for a drinking game.
1: There it is. So that is Ninja Cat Food and the covert action. Cat by Foot. Our, Ninja Cat, 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 Cat
0: Foot. Pardon me. And the covert catfish. action.
1: <laughs> by Jun Sasaki, published by Oink Games. Giving that a 1A? If that. If I could gotcha. rank it
0: lower, I would. It, I, it's the simplest game on
1: the planet. Awesome. So I will keep the kind of light train going and talk about another Winsome Games that I was able to try. This one was not actually published by Winsome, or at least my version was not. I got to try out Golf Mobile in Ohio at the Games weekend, designed by John Bohr. I think it was under a pseudonym before. Um, My version was published by Rio Grande Games. I have the new version. This was interesting. So we sat down and we don't do this often where I hadn't even read the rules. Like I was reading the rules while we were having lunch or something, but we had the intention to play this game and then I explained it to everybody. But I didn't fully internalize what the rules were before kind of explaining it to you. And as I explained it to you, that helped solidify them to me. Yes. So we all kind of thought we were getting into a trend game, you know, buy some shares. There were something at the end of the game. You do some stuff. This is more of a Euro game than pretty much any train game that I've played in a
0: long time. Right, because it was kind of a, a, a route build sort of thing, and that's how your payoff was. You'd get a certain amount of points depending on how many connections you'd make. I mean, correct. It, it really was very much an abstract Euro game. Correct,
1: but it definitely did feel like a Euro. And so why don't we explain what it is? So Gulf Mobile in Ohio, you are different investors who are putting up different, I'm going to say, gauges of railroads in the southeast, the gasless wasteland. And whenever you connect one of those color railroads to a different card railroad, you can't merge multiple of them together, by the way. They have to stay kind of independent, similar to the plantations in Indonesia. I mean, you get a certain number of points if they connect to something for the first time. Plus, if you connect them to cities, they get something and yada yada and so on and so forth. But the only way that you get points in that game is through that. It's not like you are trying to get the most share value or something all like those times. And it was definitely a deviation from what I thought it was, but it was awesome. Really enjoyed the
0: game. Yeah, it was very strange. Like, I had a hard time wrapping my brain around what it was. Like, there was nothing difficult about the game, but I think I agree with you. I came into it with a set of expectations on what it was, and it was not that by any stretch of the imagination. And I found I found it difficult to figure that out. Now, apparently I should play more games where I don't really understand what's going on because I won. Yeah, you did. But I mean,
1: it was weird. So we were in a situation where Mark had a winning move on the board. And I didn't know if I should announce that to Mark or not. There was actually two moving wins on the board because... I think I found a different one than you, you saw, did, actually. Correct. And mine was way easier. You should have thought of mine. But um, you <laughs> ended up winning and taking that a certain number of points that you needed that was also associated with the end of the game that I can't remember how it ends. But um, And you ended up winning. Should that be part of gaming or not? The quiet, I hope you don't do something wrong and hang yourself in the game
0: Well, you know, I think that depends on how competitive you are and how friendly of a game you're at, right? I mean, do you want everybody to do their best and walk away just saying, you know what, I played my best and everybody else played their best? I didn't win because something was left on the table. Like, I I think either is perfectly acceptable. I mean, it depends on how cutthroat you get with a game. And being that it was our first outplay out there, I think it was perfectly acceptable to play a little more open card, open hand. Yeah. I, I was aware of the fact that I was in the hunt. I hadn't yet figured out that I had the winning move on the table, although I was, aw- I, but I definitely had in my brain, I might be able to win this one if I can find one that gets me six points. And right. so I, you had already seen one and identified what that was yet. And you said, oh, there's one out there. So I went, oh, okay, good. There is actually one out there. Now I just need to find it. Now you know how to find
1: it. And so I guess the point is should I have explained that? So, kind of also going back to what we said earlier about replaying games. I feel like we're always planning for that play. We're like, oh, it's just a learning game, but that's actually the only time we play the game or the only time that we're actually playing it frequently enough to feel like you actually are making a shot. And because we don't circle back to those games, that bit of information that you learn by playing the game doesn't quite translate into playing it again relatively recently just due to the way our group is structured. Yeah. I think I'd be okay being more cutthroat in Town because we played it two weeks in a row and for everybody sure. didn't need a rule teach probably am not okay with the, the the cutthroat kind of like i'm not gonna explain it to you in golf mobile ohio when it's our first time we play it
0: you know i gotta admit there's part of me that sort of low-key wondered if we weren't gonna end up playing golf mobile in ohio and some other trainee games being that uh our train allergic gaming mogul's relative uncle kirk was not in present last night so i was sort of wondering if we weren't gonna take more of a train slant on things yeah
1: i thought but i thought it'd be better to just keep up with the what we were playing and maximize the enjoyment. So. Anywho, that is a e game, maybe even a euro kind of placement-y. The money really only mattered for cash flow, but Gulf Mobile Ohio by John Bohr, published by Rio Grande Games and winsome games back in the day.
0: If you got the hipster version. It was a winner. I would certainly play that one again. Yep, to be on the mogul scale all day. Very cool. Well, hey, uh short right before we played that game, we had a chance to play a game that I gave you as part of your Christmas present. Birthday present, Christmas present. Yeah, I don't know valentine's day present <laughs> yeah only from you thanks baby uh, be mine this game is a japanese import that i've really fallen in love lately called scout by keiko jano and one more game lots a lot of, of shouting points around this one a lot of shouting so scout is a uh, a trick taker with a twist you're always trying to take the uh, you're trying to beat the winning hand that's out on the table You can play basically multiples of a card or you can play runs of a card. That's kind of the only two things you can do. The trick is if you can't beat that card, you can scout it, meaning you take one of those cards and you place it in your hand. That makes the hand that you have to beat weaker for the next person down there. So the hand that you have to beat essentially gets weaker as you're fattening up your hand. Challenge is you can't reorder anything in your hand. I would say like uh, Bonanza style, right? You you have to keep the things in the right hand So the only way that you can improve your hand is by playing random cards out of the middle of other cards or by scouting and stacking cards in that. Production is nifty. It's got these fun little plastic cards inside there that are extremely colorful. And uh, the whole game plays out in 20 minutes ish. You play basically once around the table with somebody dealing and whoever has high score takes home the win. Jake, we never actually decompressed after I played this with you. Finally, what'd you think of Scout? I liked it. It was weird enough and it kind of had that ladder style
1: follow what was played kind of progression to teach you. So I had to share a shared bit of information, past knowledge about how to play well. It was cool. I think it wasn't more than it said it's gonna be. Yeah. Where I think teach you kind of goes above and beyond what it what it is and transcends
0: to be something better. This is what it is, but in a really good way. Yeah, real quick teach to get up and play. And and I think it's one that probably translates well, better to a casual group getting in and playing than totally. a game like Teach you does. Totally. And I, I thought it was really good.
1: Um, another cool thing about it is the cards are made of plastic, but not in that weird way that like, <laughs> do you remember like uh, there's that phase of plastic cards in like 06? And I had someone, I was like 13, and I thought they were the coolest thing ever.
0: Well, yeah, and they're actually a little too thick and a little. Yeah, and they didn't thick, shuffle they, well. Yeah. Sticky after a while and yeah yeah no these were these were thin enough they actually shuffled great they, they were, were great <laughs>
1: really good and I, I I really liked it I'm I'm gonna play this game more I have yet to break off the actual shrink on my copy but I definitely think it should be added into the small game rotation because it was
0: sweet yep I don't know that we have that much more to say about the game other than its mogul rating this is a one A it's a winner taught you the whole game and uh <laughs> very replayable so Scoot. By K. Kajano, Key Kajano, sure. And one more game. Absolutely. You got to shout. Keep it going. So that is that. We also
1: got to play Indonesia in the uh, weekend cabinet gaming Ooh, away. And I'll, ah, I'll be honest, oh, Mark. Ah,
0: ah, ah, are you mad because you didn't get to play it? No. Give me that white thing to put around my neck. You know, that, uh, that white bumper thing that holds your neck stiff. I just got whiplash. Oh, I know, right? From the lightness to this. This game isn't that bad. They're they're <laughs> different, from though. From Scout to Indonesia. not No change <laughs> there at all. <laughs> they're different. So,
1: um, Indonesia is published by the Splatter Spelling Crew of Joran Druman and Joris Prasinga. We love it. It's one of my favorite games. But this is actually what started me on the whole. We have to play games that we love more because I, I haven't played Indonesia in, like, I think two years. Which is just...
0: Travesty. I have played it more recently than you. Well, not since you played. Well, yeah, we played
1: online. I guess I didn't include that. I haven't played it in person in like two years.
0: Sure, and that is
1: too long for a game that I love this much. So, what you're doing is you're different Dutch dudes building plantations, colonizing stuff, and trying to make the most money. There's different building types that you can then trade around to send to different cities in Indonesia using shipping networks, which also people own. But the cool thing about it is there's mergers and acquisitions. So when you shove two companies together, there's a proportional bid equal to however much of that company that you own. So if it's 50-50 ownership, if I have five shares of a company and merging with Mark, who also was like five shares worth, they're not shares, but whatever. Then each of us have to bid in total in capital for the whole 100%, but we actually only pay out 50% because only have to pay Mark out. But if Eric, for example, is buying out ours, he has to give 50% of the bid to me and 50% of the bid to you. Works out really cool, really fun because you want to like make something good and then kind of get out. It's very venture capital-y where you you don't want to be left with the bag because it's hard to make a lot of money at the end of the game. I ended up shooting myself in the foot, but I was the agent of chaos who had the early merger R&D technology. And it was fun to just be like, well,
0: you are merging with you. Let's see what happens. Well, and to put that point home. You're merging companies that you don't own. You're just saying, right. hey, I think you guys should merge. And those two people are going, but I don't oh, want to. I don't, I don't want to. I don't really Please. want to. You don't no, to. I don't care. You guys are merging. So everybody bid for the merged company. Completely. And
1: so it worked out great. And I uh, always love to play this game. It's faded for my top 20, which it shouldn't have. It's just because I haven't played it in a while. And it's so cool. This game is the... I'm going to say redheaded stepchild of the 18xx world of games that feel similar enough where it really should be considered the same, but not 18xx at all.
0: Indonesia's very much in my, uh, have and have nots pile of, of splatter games. This is in my haves pile. This makes the cut as one of my favorite splatters. I love playing this game a little, little sore. I didn't get a chance to play it, but you know, I was only there for two days and couldn't play everything. And, that's a long play. So now that you've rekindled your fire for it, hopefully we'll get a chance to play it again soon. Yeah, I hope so. I just wonder if
1: it's too financial for Kirk or not. It may be once we get to the slightly bigger group when we get to it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the play. Totally. So that's Indonesia. Fun. On the mogul scale, I think it's a three D slash E. Yeah, I could see a case for either one. I would really like Spielworks to republish this. I would like Splotter to just republish it and do a better job with the map. I would like any
0: republisher that gets rid of the Scriptina font.
1: Yes, and you have to like give little tours of the map of all the places that people yeah. will get wrong with the little lines. So that place actually it does. I know it doesn't look like it, but those two places connect actually. Correct, and I will bring that up
0: again. So, anyway, Indonesia <laughs> it's fun. Um, got owned at it, but had a fun time. Okay you started this. I'll follow I got a chance to one of my favorite heavy games that weekend as well, uh, which I don't get to play enough and haven't played enough in the past. So I'm glad I'm changing something about that. I got a chance to both play Brass Lancashire and teach Brass Lancashire to our friend F.E.K., who has never played Brass. And I, like, seriously spit ketchup out my nose when I heard that. It is
1: weird. It's older than a lot of games, and it's also newer. So I can see people coming at a certain point, not playing it, and then not wanting to play the Cult of the New and avoiding it.
0: Yeah. And he's somebody that like knows games, right? Yeah, he should. I, I was division. just shocked. He did not know this game. So, yeah, I got a chance to teach it to him and a crew of people that also had played it before and probably should know it better. I don't know. It, it was a great chance to run rough shot on newbies. That was nice. my favorite part about the whole game. I'll cut right to the chase. Maybe the best game of brass I've ever played. Boy it all kind of came together. Everybody made sense, but it could have also been due to the fact nobody was actively getting in my way, but Hey, I'll take it. Lancashire is kind of the meaner, older brother of the brass family, you know, tighter, smaller, everybody's bumping into each other way more, less things to do. And that's kind of why we picked it, right? We sort of wanted to beat on each other a little bit. And I forgot how much thinkier it really is than Birmingham. You know, it, the comparison's very much an Agricola versus Caverna kind of thing, where right. Agricola is tighter and meaner, Caverna's a little Euro-ear, wider open, and this is the same. But I will say, boy, if you thought Brass Birmingham was a dark board, whew, Lancashire is really dark. It's uh, it, there, there are people that... I got to come in with a hot take. Okay.
1: I might scorch the podcast. Nah. I need the gaming... I'm putting this in quotes, hobby. But what that actually means is industry people to stop thinking brass is a well-published. It does not look good. You can't read it. Colors of the poker chips aren't that good. Everything's the same stupid color. Why would they make something black? You don't read anything that's black. It's so dumb. It's not a screen. (laughs) It's not projecting light. It's a flat bit of art. It works better if there's contrast and things are generally light. And then the text is dark. Not the other way around. And I hate it and I don't like it and I get why people are hipsters and play the old version. (laughs) There is my hot take of the day and at me on Twitter. I will go down. I've made my team known. I will. This is I will live with the consequences.
0: Jake, you're allowed to have your opinion even when it's wrong. It is a very dark game. I totally understand that. They went with a design ethos with it. And whether that's a good design ethos or not is uh, certainly open for argument. Having said that, the old version makes my eyes bleed. Yeah,
1: it's ugly. So it's the funny thing. It's I, I won't say this map is ugly. It does not look ugly. It's just that I don't like that it's held up as good. It's not good. It's fine. It's obviously prettier than before, but it's not it's it's not a good publishing. They they, they just went with an ethos and didn't think about anything else about it.
0: I think it's interesting that we happen to talk about this immediately after Indonesia, right? I mean, that's my main beef with Indonesia right. is that it's ugly. It's such a great game. Right. But oh man, the design sensibilities offend me. Well, it's ugly and not usable. Yeah. So it's the best of both worlds. Right. And I, you know, I think that those two fit together, that they're both spectacular games marred by usability problems. And did you
1: have the issue where somebody didn't know where a train track or a canal was?
0: I don't think it's as bad in Lancashire as it is in Birmingham because okay. there's less.
1: Yeah, because there's there's less to know. You can ask a question instead of like kind of assuming Right. because there's I- so many of them.
0: I think there's half of the number of cities in Lancashire that are in Birmingham. So, you know, it doesn't take that long to scan the board and find where you're looking for. Totally. So anyway, yeah, I had a pretty monster score. I had 165 or something like that, which is anything over 100 is pretty good in Brass Lancashire, 120, something like that. So maybe time to retire the puck. No, I'm not going to do that. This boy. is
1: a great game. <laughs> I yeah, I'm known to play whenever. Don't 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 take my complaints to mean that I don't think it's a good game. I do think it's a good game, but. Just more of a industry
0: check than anything else. For sure. And, uh, you know, reeling this one back, I think we gave this a 3D on the mogul scale in the past. It's maybe a 4D. It, like, it, it's actually not tough to teach, but it's weird, right? I mean, again, there, there's some things that happen there that don't really have an obvious correlation to other mm-hmm. games that you've played before. So it plays long, as they say. Gotcha. Favorite game, Brass Lancashire by Martin Wallace and Roxley Games. Moving to not my favorite game, but... I quite 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 a bit. Paul
1: Lorenzo il Magnifico, designed by Flaminia Bersini, Virginio Gigli, and Simone Luciani. Um, published by Gili. Cranio Creations. I bet it's Gili. Gili. Yeah, I'm sure. I've actually actually thought I did a pretty good Italian. I did probably not, but it felt good. Published by Cranio Creations. And I think my copy's actually done by Simon. I don't know if it's in collaboration or what, but it's got the Simon on the uh out to the border. Come on. Lorenzo Magnifico is a a Euro game where you're placing different workers. Um, They're dice-based workers, very similar to Tuscany, or uh, Castle of Burgundy, pardon me, not Tuscany. It's the next game, where you are placing different dice workers to do different things, and there's certain kind of parameters to the strength of your actions. You're building a tableau, you can then do actions with the tableau in a different spot. Um, Really cool game. I've liked this one a lot, and there's a lot of people on the internet and uh, kind of in the podcasting world who really like the expansion. And I've never tried the expansion. And I decided to go, you know what? Most people have played this game here and it's time to jump all the way in. And Mark, this kind of bummed me out. So a big reason that I bought the expansion was that it makes it a five-player Euro game. And at least in our world, five-player Euro games are pretty rare, especially if they're good. So I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, this would be huge to add it to the five-player Euro rotation. We're not just going to play Concordia. It may have had too many ideas going on, and the issue was you have to filter out certain cards to take out certain parts of the module of the expansion. So, like, for example, if you're playing five-player, there's a player add-on board thing that you overlay on top of the regular board to then indicate that there's five players for the turn order. But it also comes with one of those little icons that's a whole new resource in the game. So it's oh like boy. you can't play five player without including the new resource. And the new resource is just a luck box. Sure, sure. You just draw <laughs> and it's you get something, you know, and you can spend it later. Um, so that wasn't bad. But it's just little things like that that kept on interacting with each other. It's like, well, I guess I have to include that. I have to include that. And I don't know if with all the expansions, if the juice is worth the squeeze for Lorenzo Magnifico, which is a bummer because I do think this is a great game. Much better than good, but it's kind of getting maybe pushed down from worth it, which is sad.
0: I, you know, I think we can draw a parallel to ex- some expansions we've talked about recently, uh, namely Great Western Trail, Rails to the North, right? Uh, the base game is fantastic. Does it need to be more? Does the additional add to it? Does it not add to it? Now, in the case of Rails to the North, I finally had a chance to play it and uh, did enjoy what that expansion brought to the game. But um, I, after hearing your experience and observing your play of it, I pretty quickly learned and said, you know what, I enjoy the base game of Lorenzo quite a bit and I'm going to be content with that.
1: See, it's weird though, because if you were to explain each part of, actually, I'm just going to do it. We'll do it. And, and, And you'll think each individual module is really cool. So one is a luck box. So usually when you get the little thingamajig for the like church benefits, it's like a little diploma, you can draw instead this luck box and you reveal it and it's some random combination of resources. Which could be cool because it's slightly better than just getting the one resource, but you don't know what you're getting. So that's kind of neat. That's a cool thing, right? Not, not too big, right? There are special powers that you get at the beginning of the game. Pretty cool. Not crazy. They actually did add to the game. There's this really cool thing, which is probably the coolest idea in the entire game, where you actually draft those starting powers based on your starting abilities. So kind of similar to trying to think of one that's similar where you kick someone out in the auction and whoever got kicked out then places their worker. And as you place your workers, you go up this little ladder for each one of these starting abilities. And as you go up the ladder, you get less and less resources to start the game. So it's a really interesting way to do a mechanism for an auction to start off and price out what the group thinks certain powers are worth. Really cool, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's probably one other thing. There's some more cards and there's some more abilities as well. But all those things, oh, the final thing, there's another tower, another card tower that's just more of kind of the same of the original cards, but they're all spread, split. So it's a bigger deck instead of just the eight cards that you'll know, you'll see 100% of those eight cards in the first phase or whatever. Not too much, but when you put them all together, it was just a little too much. And I don't know why. I don't know if it was just five player Lorenzo Magnifico was a bigger thing than I thought it'd be or what, but I just, it wasn't what I wanted it to be.
0: And I'm trying to remember, were you guys actually playing it
1: with five players? We we were. Ooh. We certainly were. Hmm. Well, that's the reason I grabbed it. I was like, this one worked yeah, great for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I can, boy, I'm forecasting that maybe AP was a problem as well, given five players and how it's already kind of a thinky game. Maybe.
1: And it's mean, too. So, like, there was kind of just this general vibe of just trudging, a trudging atmosphere. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's too bad, because I think we finished objectively, you would look at Brass Lancashire, and you would look at Lorenzo Il Magnifico and say, oh, you're going to be able to be done way before you're done playing Brass. We ended up finishing it about the exact same time. Right. And
1: I think it was just one of those things where I'd heard so many good things about this game. Maybe my expectations were a little too high. Um, And it could have been an ounce of preparation would have been totally worth getting it. And what I mean by that is just taking out everything besides those drafting powers at the beginning of the game and playing that base. Because that could be sweet. Right, right. Um, Or something. Pick and choose any bit of the things and play it a little more modually. But it just didn't. I don't know. Maybe it's making me think that maybe I should trust other people's opinions on games less.
0: You know? Sure. Which is fine. Well, and like I said, I, I, I definitely think there's a case to be made that expansions that just sort of refine the original play, great. Expansions that sort of add just add more content to the original play, great expansions that add a bunch of extra stuff to a game that probably doesn't need it. Eh, do we really need that? Right, right. Bugger, well, too bad. I know that was a favorite of yours and too bad it didn't come off the way that you wanted it to. So yeah, anyway, I'm up to playing the base game anytime. I might try it again and maybe I'll
1: just do an ounce of prep- preparation and just do the like bid thing or maybe not even do the bid thing. That is a weird change in pace and I think I liked it because it was similar to 18xx where you're bidding for starting positions and stuff like that. Um, so I can see it working with the right group and our group, I think, might be the right
0: group for it. But for other groups, maybe it just wasn't right. So cool. Right. This is a 3C all day long on the mogul scale, right? Heck yeah. Cool. Lorenzo El Magnifico, Flaminia Prisini, Virginio Gigli, Simone Luciani by Cranio Creations. And come on. So the other game that we have hit upon recently as we're kind of uh, playing through our greatest hits list is what I think we would all quite probably say is our favorite Stonemeyer game. Jake, is it Tapestry?
1: That's not a very good uh, honorific for a game. <laughs> At least it, for, for most people in the is group. Is it Scythe, Jake? No, gosh.
0: It, it's not Tapestry. What could it be?
1: It's not between two cities. It is Viticulture. Viticulture. Homies love wine. <laughs> <Always> love wine.
0: <laughs> By Jamie Stegmeyer and Alan Stone. Let's see. If you took Stone and Stegmaier and put them together. Oh, you'd get Stonemeyer games. Oh, my gosh. We figured it out. Amazing. Uh, As we talked about, it's uh, now a classic top 20 board game geek game about producing wines. It's kind of got a unique worker placement system where things are available seasonally and you don't have a chance to do every action every time. And you can spend up all your workers in a season if you don't need the actions for the other side or if you're just dumb and screw it up. This is one that I it was fun because, like, I think we all kind of got confused at the beginning. Like, you were all set, locked and loaded to do a full rules explanation. We're all like, we play. Man, We got this. Let's yeah, it had been a while, though. I was
1: surprised that you guys didn't want me to do at least a top down. I have played it as recently as maybe November. OK, plus we were bouncing around with the expansions because I have a way I like to play the game, which is with the expansions from the essential editions expansions with the board without the star side.
0: Sure. And this was just a kind of vanilla essential edition. Yes. Is the variant we were playing Correct. this one. So we didn't have stars, we didn't have extra decks, we didn't you know nothing like that. So uh that was the variant we played. We all kind of just jumped in and and went at it without a with narrier rules teach. And you know, having said that, it was a fairly high level play of viticulture, wasn't it Jake? It was
1: pretty easy for me to waltz to the win, but I mean I, I guess it was high level? For you guys in second place. I sound like such a douche.
0: <laughs> so the, the the goal in viticulture for those six people out there that haven't played it, um, y- you want to get to twenty points to end the game, and you know, so a single point is actually pretty meaningful in this game. Mm-hmm. And usually, it's who goes over the twentieth by the most, because at the end, you sort of both. Most people are approaching twenty towards the end, so you know, it's kind of one of those that a typical typical game is like twenty six to. 25 to 21 to 19 or something like that and that's almost exactly where we ended up
1: exactly and it it was really fun I think we were really racy Um, we really tried racy as in like trying to to race to the win which was really fun we were all very aware of what everybody else was doing the drafting of the when we were going to go was really good would you consider this a great game or a really good game hmm Because I do have some complaints with this game. I'm under the impression that the cards are really good, like near universally. Like, it's hard to get a bad card.
0: Yeah. Uh, hmm. I do really, really like it. Is it a great game? And it could be that we actually have played this game maybe enough to, to like,
1: actually be kind of bored of it.
0: Yeah, and I probably do have a beef on this one, right? Because this game is highly dependent on what you draw. And if you draw poorly, you know, you have to spend a lot of calories drawing better stuff that you could be using to do better things so I finished in last place or very you know I might have been third but point is I was a solid six points out of first place and the only reason I was there is that I was taking the free gravy victory points everywhere I could find them just to make up for the fact that I had wasn't doing much at the beginning and the reason I wasn't doing much at the beginning is that One of the things you're trying to do is you're trying to fulfill wine contracts. Some of them are very easy and can be achieved off of like a couple of small wines and other ones are worth a lot, but they're really hard to fulfill and you can't fulfill them until you've been raising wine for a while and until you've upgraded your sellers to produce those better wines. So right out of the gate, I have the ability to ship like a nine point blush or something like that for a lot of victory points and a lot of residual value. But you kind of look at your head, you throw your hands up in the air and go, well, I guess I'm not going to be doing this one for a while. I should probably find right. a different way to make victory points. So that was hard to recover from.
1: Yeah. And it's not like there's a market in this game. I think that maybe go a long way. Um, sure, or just having sure. a couple of a couple of cards that you can draw from just just to know what's coming and kind of what your options are and cycle them out and stuff like that. But it just seemed like
0: whoever drew the most cards won and I drew the most cards and I won. Right. Well, and. You know, you had the resources then that you didn't need to go. I I think the reason it's not so much that you had more cards. It's it's what those cards gave you. Those cards gave you resources that prevented you to have to take actions on the board to do resources, which allowed you to spend your actions to play those cards, which then, you know, started the cycle all over again.
1: Right. And then people did try to take it, but it was cool. And I have played this game 16 track times and this game is before I tracked games. So my plays are probably in the 20 or 30 range. Mm -hmm. I've played it a lot. There's, there's, this is not a game that we are not familiar with, but I'm just wondering if maybe, maybe I've burned through this game enough. I was thinking about throwing it on the sale pile, but after this play, I think I'm definitely not throwing it there. So.
0: Yeah, especially knowing that a lot of people in the game like playing a lot of people in the group like playing it and know how to play it, it. It actually becomes pretty easy to just flop it on the table and let's go.
1: Totally. I do want to play and try the get a lot of tours strategy to just plink away and get like three points around for like five rounds. And see if you can deliver one or something like that. I think that'd be a really cool way to see if you win.
0: Yeah, and I think uh I think next time I play it with you, I'm going to try out the maybe not suck strategy. <laughs> that's
1: funny. So <laughs> that's Viticulture by Jamie Stegmeier and Alan Stone, published by Stone Games, and we're giving it a three C all day dictionary the definition scale. therein. Midweight euro, and it is
0: it's a good one. Power to him. It's it's good. It's really good. Yeah, being that it's one of their earlier games too, I think it has stood the test of time very well. Wonderful. We'll have to do a nice
1: Tuscany bottle of a uh, red next time we play it. I'll bring a nice one.
0: I do. Uh, I, I do. Some night want to line up a viticulture plus vinos twenty sixteen night with you. Ooh, I bet you we could do a wine. I bet you there's a wine filler game too. There's got to be. I can't think of one, but there has to be. I, I, I turned around and looked at my
1: collection. I only have coffee mixing games.
0: I mean, there's games based on freaking mushrooms. There has to be a wine filler game. <laughs> Absolutely, that'd be fun, and do a wine themed night,
1: and uh, maybe we'd have to do them in reverse order. Start with with the uh Ooh, the biggest filler. Do
0: we have a cheese oh, filler? Oh, that'd be good. Something with mice. Dairy Man. Dairy. Yeah, there we go. Dairy Man. So you got the wine and cheese going tonight. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. So, Jake, dang, this was a good time. It's been too long since we've uh, sat down and talked games and had games to talk about.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, the listeners should get used to kind of hearing our
0: dumb takes on dumb things because I think we're going to be doing this a lot more in the future. Ooh, and and uh, talk about getting back into shape, man. Those are some muscles I haven't used in a while. Absolutely. That big one in between your ears. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us tonight. We're the Gaming Moguls. I'm Mark. And I'm Jay. Hey, good night, everybody.
1: This has been the Gaming Moguls podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jay Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at GamingMoguls. Or reach us via email, jake at GamingMoguls.com or mark at GamingMoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.